Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take, and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of My Take Radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 145 for Thursday, July 5th, 2012. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. If you want to leave any feedback, you can call our feedback line 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that at the start of the recording. Thanks. All right. <clears throat> of course, yesterday was Independence Day, and um, it would have been apropos to play, you know, America or reference Bill Pullman's speech in Independence Day. But that was yesterday. Today is not Independence Day. Everybody went back to fucking work, so it would not have made any sense to use the sound clip. Uh, but we got a couple of things we want to discuss, um, some housekeeping first to get out of the way. If you haven't been on MTR's Facebook fan page, number one, you should be. Number two, we've been putting uh, up a lot of great stuff there as of late. Lots of great video, tons of great content as well. Uh, just um, a quick reminder that Slick, myself, and Andrea all moderate the Facebook fan page, but Facebook actually instituted a new change this week. Um, because a lot of people seem to have been having issue with who was writing updates on the fan page. There is now a section called voice, which is going to allow us to post as ourselves. I will keep posting as my take radio, obviously, but, um, slick and Andrea will probably be posting as themselves unless there are rare instances where they have to post as the Facebook fan page. So just wanted to give you guys the heads up. Uh, most times we will differentiate our comments um, either by by putting our names or one way or another, you guys will know who's writing what. But hopefully, now that Facebook put this in, into place, we can avoid those insta those instances where people don't know who the fuck is writing on the fan page. So, figured you guys would want to know that. Also, uh, My Take Radio is now available on the TuneIn Smart Radio app. 
quick reminder, if you are uh, a TuneIn Radio user, you can look up My Take Radio and listen to that um, on your iOS or Android devices. And, of course, those of you that have uh, Bluetooth in your cars, you can listen to uh, TuneIn Radio in your cars, much like you can listen to the podcast app as well, which recently launched for iOS. It was a way for them to separate podcasts from regular music on iTunes. So if you want to listen to My Take Radio via iOS, please make sure you download the podcast app. That way you can hear the shows directly that way. And of course, I got to remind you guys, if you guys are getting your shows from iTunes, please take a couple of minutes, uh, rate the show, uh, throw a quick review up there, good, bad, or otherwise. I mean, I'm not going to pass any judgment if you don't like what we do. It's all good. We're not for everybody, but just make sure, throw a review up there. It helps us out, helps us engage with our audience a little better. And like anything else, it gives us more exposure, which in turn gets the show to bigger audiences and allows us to do cooler stuff for you guys. As always, at the top of the broadcast, you heard the uh, Stitcher pre-roll, so make sure if you are not a fan of using the iOS podcast app, you can also listen to the show via Stitcher, and if you enter the MyTake promo code, you're eligible to win $100. Just a quick reminder in case you didn't hear that at the start of the broadcast. Please continue to do your check-ins on Get Glue. It's always nice to see uh, the comments and also the different check-ins. We do have a counter on our page. You can check in on MyTakeRadio.com. You can also check in directly from our Facebook fan page. In addition to that, we've made another um, improvement to the Facebook fan page. One of the things that a lot of people were asking about, besides being able to listen to the show live uh, via Mixler, which we already added, was another way that they can listen to previous episodes without leaving Facebook. Um, Our friends at Libsyn actually helped us launch a brand new app, which is the MyTakeRadio Facebook app. It is the fifth tab on our Facebook fan page. You can listen to all the MTR episodes directly from the fan page without having to leave. Just another way for you guys to get that. Um, Word of advice, though, the best audio will always be on Libsyn and Stitcher and, of course, via Mixler. Um, Our blog talk radio feed is for the live shows only. And, of course, if you choose to listen to that, you will get inferior audio quality. I'm sorry to break it to you guys, but that's just the way it is. Like I said, Stitcher, iTunes, and Mixler are the best ways to get access to the 96K stereo episodes of MTR. Uh, One other thing I did want to mention, we recorded a new MTR behind the mic with uh, Srinivas Rao from Blogcast FM. It was a really cool interview. He did do the interview via Skype mobile, and there were a couple of hiccups on his end, so I am currently trying to edit those out as best as possible. Uh, that will be exclusive, as always, to the My Take Radio app owners. So if you don't have the MTR app, make sure you pick it up in the Amazon Marketplace or it, via iTunes, and you'll be able to access those interviews along with other exclusive content as well. All right, we got a lot to discuss this week. Uh, first off, we got some MMA stuff. Not too much this week. MMA has been a little quiet. We do have a huge card this weekend, though. Chael and Anderson Silva 2. Tito Ortiz's last match in the UFC before his retirement, uh, before his retirement against Forrest Griffin, and a couple of other great fights as well. Make sure to check that out on pay per view, and we'll probably be talking about that at length next week, probably with Ben and a couple of others as well, because it's gonna be it's gonna be history in the making. There's gonna be something either Chael Sonnen's gonna get wheeled out of there in a stretcher, or he will upset Anderson Silva and get the belt. But it's gonna be a great night of fights, so I gotta throw that out there as well. Um, We're going to talk about Raw, 
SmackDown, which aired on Tuesday, Great American Bash. Um, maybe I'll have uh, I'll let Quark know to call in, and if Blade is around as well, we can talk about the Great American Bash. We can talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw, which was complete garbage. And if you have not read the buried column to back that up, I recommend you do so. Make sure to go to mytakeradio.com, hit the wrestling section, and you can read the brand new buried column from Blade and Quark. Also, we got your movie news, we got some gaming news to discuss, but I actually want to get into this week's monologue. I had the privilege of seeing um, a friend, uh, I'd like to say a friend of mine, Colin Kane, uh, who's relocating to Los Angeles, do some stand-up recently. He did stand-up last Friday at um, the brokerage here in New York City, and well, actually, it's out on the island, but in New York in a general sense. Anyway, big fan of Colin. He does, I, I wouldn't call it cringe humor. Some people call it mean humor. Needless to say, it's not family friendly, but he, he's a funny motherfucker. And I'm not saying that just because him and I speak and we get along, but just because the guy is genuinely funny. Anyway, we go to see him at this place at the brokerage. It's a small, intimate venue. There's great seats in the entire house. The house was pretty packed. Um, We had three opening comedians, and Colin was the headliner. And one thing I I have to say all the time, and people don't understand it, and comedians bitch about it oftenly, is when you go to an event, especially stand-up comedy, it's the equivalent of going to a movie theater, translation. You go in, you laugh, you keep your mouth shut otherwise... You don't fucking text, you don't jerk around, you don't become a complete fucking nuisance because not only does it distract the comic, but it distracts the people that are there as well. So, this particular night, like anything else, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a uh, a rich outing without some crazy shit happening. Colin's doing his set and this guy's there an older guy, probably in his late 40s. He's there with his wife and a couple of his, you know, older 40-year-old friends. And Colin's doing his set, and he's killing the room, and we're all laughing. So this lady, uh, who was the guy's wife, she starts talking. And, you know, Colin, he kind of, he's a great improv comic. So he uh, plays off of that a little bit, asks the guy, like, you know, how the hell do you deal with this chick, blah, blah, blah. And then he kind of spun it to tell her to shut the fuck up. Okay. Moving on, he continues doing his set, doing his set. Lady starts talking again. He's like, listen, bitch. Shut the fuck up before I kick your head off your shoulders. Verbatim, that's exactly what Colin said. And of course, everybody was getting agitated because everybody's laughing and Colin has to stop and tell this trashy, tanned, leather-skinned, alligator-looking bitch to shut the fuck up. And that's exactly what it was. He said it. He's like, I I bet you the only time this bitch shuts up is in the tanning bed. Because she was super brown. Like, I'm brown. This chick is probably the color of my mic filter, which is almost black. So she gets the hint. She shuts up. The guy from the club comes over. And again, you know, he kind of reinforces the fact like, look, if you don't shut up, you got to get the fuck out. We continue this, the stand up. Everybody's laughing. Ha ha ha. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what the fuck happened, but she calls Colin an asshole. And he hears it. He's all, he goes, yo, this fucking chick just call me an asshole. He's like, yo, you got to get the fuck out. And he tells the older guy, he's like, look, man, she's your chick. I think she's had a little too much to drink. Get the fuck out. So she got the boot and he finished his set. We laughed and et cetera, et cetera. So after the set finishes, 
I've learned something. There's a lot of trashy chicks that wander into stand-up comedy spots. Three types of trash bag chicks that wander in there. Cum dumpsters that want to sleep with the comedians. Or whore bags that are there trying to pick up whatever drunk douchebag is there for the evening. And then just complete dregs of society who got nothing better to do except linger around the bar and be annoying. So after the show ended, you know, you had a, uh, a two-drink minimum there. So everybody, they had their two drinks, their three drinks. I don't drink, so I drank fucking soda. Whatever. After it was over, we go to use the bathroom. There's two bathrooms with, you know, with one per person. It's not like you walk in and there's a line of stalls and shit. It's two bathrooms. So these two drunken, trashy, Jersey Shore reject cum dumpster whore bags run into the men's room. Mind you, there's a line of guys that want to take a leak. So we're all sitting there and a couple of us are banging on the door like, yo, get the fuck out. Because we don't know. Maybe they're snorting coke off each other's boobs or or just doing something inappropriate. But they weren't even remotely attractive, so it wouldn't have even been hot to look at. So one of them opens the door, and she's like, I just had a medical emergency. And it's like, look, if the medical emergency is that the load you swallowed three hours earlier gave you indigestion, then we're sorry. But we got to take a leak and get the fuck out. So she finally stumbles out. Oh, sorry. Just, just complete bag of vomit. Bathroom smelled like a crime scene. So we go out, I say goodbye to Colin, I wish him luck, and the chick that got booted was like outside crying as to why she got the boot. Now I'm sharing this story for a couple of reasons. Much like I like I talk about it when I go to the movies, like I said before, you, you gotta respect what the fuck is in front of you and the fact that people are paying money. If you go to see stand-up, shut your fucking pie hole. Seriously. It's that simple. Shut your pie hole Nobody wants to hear all your side comments. We had chicks trying to pick up Colin while he was doing his set. Just complete douchebaggery on display. A couple of guys were in there wearing mandals. They got made fun of. Guys, I'm sorry. There's no way. I don't care what GQ or, or men's health or anything. Look, if you're wearing mandals, it's, it's just doesn't work. I'm sorry. doesn't. And if you're wearing flip-flops with fucking socks, please kill yourself. Kill yourself, because you just look like a complete asshole. Anyway, I got to take a moment. Wish Colin the best of luck going out to L.A. Um, he's a funny dude. He got he got into some trouble based on a column that was written recently about his humor that was degrading towards women, blah, blah, blah. You know, typical um, tight-ass people complaining about comedy. All I got to say is, much like I say with the show, if you can't handle it, please just just turn the dial and move on. Because the people that bitch, we just don't have time for it. It, it. it exhausts us. But, again, much props to Colin for having us. And um, best of luck to him on the West Coast. Also, wanted to talk about something else that came across my desk earlier this week. And that was, there was a hashtag trending on Twitter about girl gamers. And uh, girls shouldn't play games. Some Some lame ass, um, some lame ass hashtag about girls and playing video games and the whole reason why i'm bringing it up is because it was trending for a majority of the day and there were people on twitter having some fun with it then there were some girls that were upset because of an article that was written and i i gotta reference it only because i'm tired of this whole gender division between gamers like i've always said the title of gamer is universal whether you pee standing up or pee sitting down or a combination of the two, 
The fact is, if you're a gamer, it doesn't matter what gender you are, but some people choose to use the gender label, whether it's to market themselves or build their business or whatever, you know, that's great. But those same people that use gender as a label get mad when people use it to to clown said gender, especially girls. I think that girl gamers that are legit girl gamers could give less of a fuck about the label of girl gamer more than anything else. They just want to play the games. A lot of times they don't even mention what gender they are. They just come in, they do what they got to do, and they roll out. Some of them play better than we do, than, than men do. That's a fact. And it just, I hate reading these these articles, not only because it creates a complete firestorm of bullshit, but because people just don't, can't get past fucking labels. Just just accept the fact that we all play fucking games. Seriously, hiding behind gender, whether it's for uh, consciously or subconsciously, it's just a recipe for fucking disaster. Do yourselves a favor, if you're marketing yourself as a girl gamer and that's your, your thing, and... You know, you, you, you're taking pictures of yourself with controllers over controllers over your boobs and you're scantily clad and all this shit. Know that that's going to come with the fucking territory. So don't get bent out of shape when people make general, general, general assumptions about you. That's how it goes. Seriously. The, the, a lot of times, it, that, the fact that it trended most of the day is, you know, it's a non-factor. Twitter is a strange place. But the fact that so many people got annoyed about it, it's like if you're really a gamer, you don't give a fuck about a gender label. I get more annoyed with people blaming video games for the for the ills of society than about fucking gender. Seriously, you can sit on a rubber dildo and play Halo butt ass naked and nobody will give a fuck. Personally, I don't either. Let's just all call ourselves gamers and stop using gender as a label to define us. Simple as that. All right, let's get into some MMA because we got a lot to talk about and um, it's getting kind of warm in this room, so I think the show is going to run a little short. Let's make this happen. My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. If you want to get some of the best licensed official gear, whether it's for your favorite UFC, Bellator, or independent fighters, make sure to hit up MMAWarehouse.com. All right, we're going to start off with some Strikeforce news this week. Um, seems that Ronda Rousey will be defending her championship August 18th against Sarah Kaufman. Also added to that card, uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza is taking on Derek Brunson. Roger Bowling is meeting Tarek Safadine. TJ Cook versus Ovin St. Preux, OSP, and also announced recently Misha Tate will be taking on Julie Kedzie. This is Misha Tate's first fight um, after the literal Ronda Rousey arm rip that she suffered during the title fight, and I only say that because that's the way it looked. Obviously, Misha Tate did not suffer any um, lengthy, debilitating injuries, but nonetheless, it's her first time in the cage in a while, and um, Rousey and Kaufman is going to be a great fight, especially because Kaufman was scheduled to challenge for the belt early on. I think it's going to be a fantastic fight. I think Ronda Rousey is going to get tested. Uh, Sarah Kaufman's not a slouch. I'm also pumped to see this Jacare Souza Derek Brunson fight, just because Derek Brunson's a great talent. He hasn't been. I haven't seen him fight in a while. I believe the last time he fought, either I didn't get to see it or I missed it. But um, 
he, he always delivers exciting fights, especially against a guy like Jacare. And that's all going to be going down uh, on August 18th in, Sa- in San Diego. The main card's going to air on Showtime. And, of course, Showtime Extreme is going to be airing the prelims. In breaking tradition, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about some Muay Thai and uh, kickboxing news, only because if you watch MMA and you haven't had a chance to watch Muay Thai, you should. Um, a lot of Muay Thai fighters make the transition from Muay Thai to MMA. Alistair Overeem, uh, CR the Killer, uh, Badahari, who hasn't made the transition yet, but I'm sure it'll be a matter of time. Mirko Krokop. Uh, these guys, all great athletes that came out of Muay Thai. And this particular uh, bit of news concerns two organizations. Obviously, you have Glory Sports, uh, put out by Golden Glory, and also you have It's Showtime. Now, the way it works is both of these promotions put on Muay Thai events, which are usually broadcast on HDNet. And as of earlier this week, it's been announced that Glory Sports International have acquired It's Showtime, which was their competitor. So now all the great fighters are going to be under one umbrella. This is going to open up a ton of fantastic Muay Thai fights, most of which are going to be shown on HDNet. I recommend if you haven't watched a uh, It's Showtime series or a, Glo- a Glory um, card, you definitely should check it out. I started following Muay Thai a lot as I got deeper into Japanese MMA, and I've realized that watching Muay Thai is probably um, what what boxing should be. It's fast-paced, extremely violent, and the knockouts come aplenty. So very, very pumped to see Glory expand and grab and grab the guys from its showtime i'm expecting fantastic cards and um hdnet is actually known i believe now as the axis network they went through a rebranding so if there's any upcoming showtime or its glory events well actually it's glory events only from now on i'll make sure to mention them so you guys can check those out as well in a bit of news that comes as no as no surprise to anybody um, Ariane Celeste, of course, got arrested a while back for whooping her man's ass. Uh, she was charged with, uh, domestic violence and battery. It seems that now no charges will be filed, conveniently enough. It seems that the, during the review of the case, there was insufficient evidence. Um, Ariane Celeste and Praveen Chandra were both, were both arrested May 26th after a little altercation in Vegas. And, um, based on the accusations, Chandra accused... Ariani of kicking him in the nose and Ariani indicated that Chandra choked her several times during the evening. Both got, both of them were booked and um, based on what's happened, the DA also dropped the charges against Chandra. Now, the funny thing about this is that she, she said she got choked several times during the evening. He got kicked in the nose, whatever. And we saw proof that he did get kicked in the nose and nose was broken, not broken, but it was uh, severely uh, swollen and he was bleeding and whether she was choked once, twice, a hundred times, I really would like to know how the fuck you go an entire night getting choked allegedly several times and you only end up kicking the guy in the face once. Did he choke you the last time a little bit harder than the first three times? Like, I don't get that shit. If you were choked several times during the evening, it just makes no fucking sense. Unless he like yoked up, he's like, come here, bitch. Or some crazy shit like that. I, I just don't understand the logic. Now regarding the, the charges and insufficient evidence. I, I kind of feel that some money exchange hands. Because not for nothing. You kicked the guy in the fucking face. And there's, there's, vis, there's visual proof that you did that. 
because the guy looks like he got his ass whooped. Now, I don't understand what classifies as insufficient evidence. I think maybe some one one person didn't want to drop dime on the other, but it just seemed that this whole situation seemed a little little too convenient for for the way I look at things. And not for nothing, Vegas, in my opinion, is a little crooked. So this not going to trial or nothing big being made of it doesn't shock me in the least. In some other UFC news, of course, fight week this week, which means Dana White is always going to give us some great sound clips. I want to talk about some comments he made recently about Fedor Emelianenko and, of course, Fedor retired. And the first thing he was asked about was not being able to put together Fedor versus Brock Lesnar. He said that obviously I would have loved to make that fight with him and Brock happen at some point. It would have been awesome, but obviously it didn't happen. He was also asked about his personal opinion about Fedor, and he said, I have nothing against Fedor whatsoever. He's definitely got some hardcore fans. I mean, the guy can get knocked out four times in a row, and they still think he's the fucking greatest ever. When asked about his problems with M1, he said, I don't hate the guy. There's definitely no hate at all for Fedor. It was always his management. Anytime you ever heard me talk, it was about the dummy, or the guys who managed his career, but I have nothing against Fedor. Now, clearly, there's revisionist history on display here because when Fedor lost the first time, Dana White tweeted a smiley face. Anytime something unfortunate happened or, or Fedor suffered a setback, Dana White kind of gently stroked the fire a little bit. Not only that, but whenever he spoke about Fedor, when he was um, trying to get negotiations with M1 or when the negotiations fell through, he always said that Fedor was overhyped blah, 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 he wasn't the greatest ever. If you look at Fedor's career, he fought a who's who of mixed martial artists. Now, the 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 title of greatest of all time is always up for fucking debate because we can sit here and I can say, you know, Muhammad Ali was the greatest boxer of all time. Some people may say Sugar Ray Leonard. Other guys may say Mike Tyson. Other guys may go Joe Lewis. Whatever the case may be, we're all gonna have a different opinion. Same thing with Fedor, but... Fedor has a great record. Not only that, he was a tremendous, tremendous contributor to the popularity of the sport, especially when it when it came to MMA beyond the UFC. The fact that Fedor's accomplishments get swept under the fucking rug boggles my mind. And these are the times I got I got to cite a friend of mine who's been on the show, Bloodstain Lane, and and you know talk about the Zufa zombies and the guys who only talk about UFC when referring to anything about MMA. Mixed martial arts is bigger than the UFC. There's thousands of promotions. Well, there's thousands of fighters. There's dozens of promotions out there, whether it's, you know, the guys in Canada doing their thing, whether it's 1FC, uh, Strike Force to to a certain degree, King of the Cage, the list goes on. There's, There's great smaller organizations out there that have tremendous talent that may or may not make their way to the octagon. It's simple as that. But to erase a guy like Fedor's legacy is, or at least refer to it in a negative light is, is very revisionist on Dana White's part. And even the UFC look, if you don't like the fucking guy's management, that's fine. You're entitled to, to dislike the management. Even if you dislike the fighter, but you cannot erase some of his accomplishments. You can't. And the reason that Dana could not make Fedor and Brock happen was because about money and management. And that's fine. But that has nothing to do with the fighter. That has to do with the management. And Fedor is not a guy who's going to go against his management. He never has. And I doubt he will for the foreseeable future. Will he ever fight in the UFC? 
Maybe. Will the value be the same as it was when he was in his prime? Absolutely not. But the results are still going to be there and people are going to tune in. This is, these are the times I really get pissed off with Dana White and his revisionist history. Guys that came out of Japan, Pride Fighting, all these other organizations have contributed just as much to the sport of mixed martial arts as, as you and the UFC have. So stop talking shit. Seriously. In some other UFC news, the UFC has expanded into China. They put out a press release recently that they have expanded into China and they will be hosting their first event November 10th, 2012. It's going to be taking place at the Venetian Macau Resort in, in the Cortai uh, Arena. It's a 15,000 seat arena that's um, going to be the first to host an MMA card from the UFC. It's going to be broadcast on Fuel TV here in the U.S. and also by numerous TV partners around the world. I think that the expansion into China is huge because there's there's a, a market for MMA that hasn't been tapped out there. I mean, One FC is starting to touch some of those markets, but I think the UFC given their their more global branding can go out there and find some of the best talented fighters from each air, from each country and put them on display and be able to keep respectable cards for all these areas. I mean, when they go in the UK, you see how many great UK fighters uh, the UFC has. Same thing going into Ireland, going into Australia, uh, going into Brazil, obviously, going to Japan. Uh, there's there's such a huge, huge turnout when you get these these um these location based fights only because if you have a lot of a lot of fighters from that area on your roster it's going to make people want to tune in and root for their fellow countrymen i think it's a a great thing to see and hopefully the expansion continues and like i said i say it not because of the ufc but just because mma reaches a brand new audience all right guys that's going to wrap up mma for this week we are going to go right into wrestling because there's a lot of crazy stuff that happened, and um, I'm actually going to play two bumpers for the wrestling segment because it's, we're, I'm going to touch on two different uh, members of the WWE roster this week. Of course, the first is... Obviously, hearing AJ Lee's theme, you clearly know that she will be a big part of this week's MMA segment. Um, of course, Monday Night Raw leading into Money in the Bank. And what did we get a lot of this week? Fucking AJ. Now, I don't dislike what they're doing with AJ. I dislike the fact that the angle is becoming more about her and less about the belt. I understand that there's got to be storytelling, but I really don't like the fact that she's becoming more so the the catalyst in this match than the belt is the belt is almost taking a back seat to aj's drama with cm punk and daniel bryan so let's talk a little bit about raw this week and the first group of guys i want to talk about of course were are the main eventers that had our promos at the opening of raw with uh the tag setting up the tag team match with cena and cm punk taking on chris jericho and daniel bryan now this is the second week in a row that we've had these guys come out and cut some some passable promos, but I, I don't know what the fuck has been going on the last two weeks, but Chris Jericho has stepped his fucking game up. He has. I mean, him and, and Daniel Bryan definitely are, are outshining uh, CM Punk and John Cena. I don't know what's going on with CM Punk. I think he's in that... He's in that weird place when you become a main eventer. 
that he's just trying to placate the crowd and he's less pipe bomb and more superstar. I think Jericho's been the, the guy that stepped his game up since coming back from suspension. And um, it was it was a decent promo to open up Raw. I mean, the only thing I have to say about it is the fact that you, they can't keep opening Raw with a fucking promo every fucking week. It's boring. That's the only thing. Like, last week, okay. This week, eh, Jericho saved it. But if, if, if we got to deal with fucking promos every week, it's just going to be garbage. Which... Leads me into the first match of the evening involving um, a, a pretty much an eight-man tag with uh, Kofi, R-Truth, Santino, and Christian, David Otunga, and Cody Rhodes, and, of course, these guys. That, ladies and gentlemen, is referring to the primetime players, uh, Darren Young, a.k.a. Chaco Cena, and Lamar Odom, a.k.a. Titus O'Neil, uh, managed by All World Productions, a.k.a. Abraham Washington. And of co- the, the funny thing about this eight-man tag was that you had all these great competitors in there, and the primetime players ended up abandoning David Otunga and Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes, of course, aban- abandoned David Otunga. Otunga got his ass whooped pretty much by everybody, including Brodus Clay, who came out and got involved. And we had our little mini dance-off, which looked completely ridiculous with Christian dancing. And I don't know what kind of coke they're giving Santino that he's out there dancing like a complete fucking jackass. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. The match itself was passable. The reason I threw that out there about the primetime players is because they are... Regardless of whether you dislike Chaco Cena or, or Titus O'Neil, or the, I think that they are a throwback to the old tag teams, which were the guys that came out with their manager. The manager did all the talking. They did the shenanigans, and they started to kind of catch on with the crowd. Now, their wrestling is, is pretty decent. I think their finisher is not the best finisher, but like I said, it, it's a great team to build a division around. We don't have established tag teams being spotlighted like they used to. And and anybody that says, oh, well, Kofi and, and R-Truth are the champions and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but they are thrown together. There is no established face tag team to, to lead the division right now. And not for nothing, I'd rather they drop the belts to the primetime players because you can at least start building a solid tag team division with those guys and giving tag teams villains that they can go after. You know, you got the Usos, nothing is being done with them. Justin Gabriel and Tyson Kidd, they were on a roll. Then Tyson Kidd started getting the push, and that shit fell by the wayside. I, I really don't understand. And, you know, Primo not, uh, Primo and Epico, same thing. The Goya brothers get no love. And why can't you do something with Hunico and Camacho, considering they're together all the time? I mean, what's the deal with Camacho? Is he, is he a fucking gimp? Like, can he not wrestle? I don't know what the deal is, but you got guys that are already paired together that you can start building your tag team division with. We get more segments with AJ than tag team wrestling. This is something that's happened over the last couple of months with Raw, with SmackDown, and with the and with the WWE product in general. And that's the fact that titles don't mean a fucking thing. They don't. Let's look at it this way. You got your Money in the Bank ladder match with former champions. 
Chris Jericho, The Big Show, Kane, and John Cena. Then you have your SmackDown um, Money in the Bank, which, get this, is for the World Wrestling Champion, uh, the World Heavyweight Championship, and the and the crazy part about it is that your Smack, your U.S. Champion and your IC Champion are both fighting for that belt, even though they're both on different fucking brands. Makes no sense. Santino is a Raw guy. If you're gonna do something with him, you should have done it on the Raw side of things. But no, we're gonna do it with with former champions. The only guy who's gonna give us any remote awesome spots is going to be Chris Jericho. It's not going to be Cena. You're not going to see Cena doing anything crazy off the ladder. Maybe he'll do one big spot. Maybe Kane will do another. But there's there's nothing else to it. You should have thrown something else in there. I don't care what it is, but there should have been another high-flying guy in there to kind of offset things. Again, personal opinion. If you want to do something crazy, though, have Daniel Bryan and CM Punk... Punk loses, Brian gets the belt, and Punk gets into that match for Money in the Bank. Don't don't have him win it, but he just decides to involve himself in the match by, you know, hitting up whatever general manager is in charge the week of the pay-per-view. Something. But seriously, you got the just your belts are completely fucking devalued. It's it's embarrassing. The rest of Raw was pretty much paint by numbers. If you read Buried this week, you'll know that it was just complete shit. Uh, Sin Cara got, sm- got got squashed by Del Rio. Once again, you can have Del Rio wrestle a llama covered in vomit, and it still won't be interesting because he is fucking boring as shit. Tired of it. Garbage. Sheamus and AJ took on Dolph Ziggler and Vicky Guerrero. Um, I think they're really starting to tease a little bit of dissension with Vicky Guerrero and Ziggler, um, especially when he ate the brogue kick due to Vicky Guerrero kind of distracting his attention. Um, AJ, of course, secured the victory with the Shining Wizard, and we see her on TV doing her little yes chant, which she stole from Daniel Bryan. We got a Heath Slater segment with Doink the Clown. Uh, Doink this week, was uh, during this particular instance, was played by the Brooklyn Brawler. It's always one of those things where you wonder who was under the, do- the Doink makeup, because it's always a different guy. But this particular time, it was the Brooklyn Brawler, and the setup for that was DDP, former guest here on MTR, coming out promoting his DDP Yoga product, but also delivering a diamond cutter to Heath Slater. Heath Slater's just going to be the de facto guy to get his ass whooped all the way up to the 1,000th episode, and um, whatever, it's not bad. I I could give two, two shits less about Heath Slater, so fuck him. If he gets his ass whooped every week, I really would like them to bring back Zach Gowan so he can fucking hop around on one leg and whoop Heath Slater's ass, because... That's about as entertaining as Raw was. It really was not what was to be expected leading up to a pay-per-view. The no-DQ match with Kane and the Big Show, two lumbering motherfuckers on my screen, just slowing shit to a halt. Next, of course, Tyson Kidd took on uh, White Saki, Lord Tensai, Albert, Matt Bloom, whatever the fuck you want to call him. Uh, Tyson Kidd gets the upset because now he's the upset kid. Everybody's all on his nuts right now. Um... I'm actually happy to see Tyson Kidd get a push. Last graduate of the Heart Dungeon. Uh, extremely athletic. His promo work, eh, you know, it's, it's all right. But nothing that a manager can't fix. Actually, you should just make Natalia his manager because you're not doing shit with her anyway. And, of course, the um, main event tag team, 
match with CM Punk and John Cena against Brian and Jericho ended with the stupidest fucking ending with AJ coming out because she got tired of being ignored, setting up a table and threatening to throw herself off the table. That is about as dramatic as watching paint dry. You want to impress me, AJ? Climb up to the top of the fucking Titan Tron. Do something where people will go, holy shit, that bitch is in danger. You are climbing to the top of the turnbuckle and threatening to throw yourself through a table that is about five feet down. Give me a fucking break. What, so it can end up with you kissing Punk and pushing him through a fucking table? Raw this week was complete shit. I swear, if I had a toilet flushing sound effect, I would play it. Because it was an embarrassment. I was like, yo, you're you're really putting in all this work, and it sucked. It really did. And, and, you know, the guys that buried... They they go and you people are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, these guys hate everything. No, they don't hate everything. Most 99% of the time, everything they put out there makes complete fucking sense. And they were 100% right in saying that it fucking sucked because it did. I mean, the way I see it, going into a pay-per-view, you're supposed to build up all your money matches. It seems like all they're doing is building up AJ and Brian and the the tease of Brock Lesnar, which you know, he he fucking he had Paul Heyman there this week because you know you got twenty four days on your contract, so you don't want to waste all of them. And um, luckily enough, I did find a sound effect that will pretty much emphasize what I think of Raw this week. That's where Raw goes, in the fucking shitter. Let's talk about the Great American Bash. We had a couple of nifty little sight gags to start things off. You know, Hornswoggle in the kiddie pool. Kane starting the barbecue pit with his magical fire abilities. Um, Del Rio comes out with the always awesome Ricardo Rodriguez to set things up, which was cool. Like I said, Ricardo Rodriguez is the high point of anything regarding Del Rio. Del Rio himself is shit, but Ricardo Rodriguez I can live with. Layla and Kali took on Oksana and Antonio Cesaro. Obviously punishment because Teddy Long was in charge. And uh, very paint by numbers. I really didn't like the fact that um, Cesaro ate the loss on this. But it was cool only because Oksana, Oksana ate the pin. And we know she can't fucking wrestle at all. So take that for what it's worth. Good high point though of the evening. Uh, the Money in the Bank qualifier for Cody Rhodes was against Christian. And they delivered a really, really good match. I think Cody Rhodes being involved is a step in the right direction for him because it opens up the possibility for him to get a push into the upper mid card. Same thing with uh, Dolph Ziggler who took on Alex Riley and he secured his spot in Money in the Bank. So with that said, you got two potential guys that are almost a lock to win that. Dolph Ziggler and Cody Rhodes. Both guys who I think are in the upper echelon just waiting to break through that glass ceiling. They're right there. And I think that the Money in the Bank win would be more crucial for a guy like Dolph Ziggler, who's already gotten himself over. It'll be a great catalyst to separate from Vicky. The guy has all the tools, and who knows, maybe you can turn him into the anti-hero that we all wish Randall Orton was. Because, you know, considering, you know, he's a pothead and he doesn't want to be on TV, I think Dolph Ziggler is the guy that can step up and shoulder the uh, the load, so to speak. Had a little fucking segment with AJ and Danny Bryan and 
Michael Cole, who's a complete fucking dullard. Uh, of course, she kissed Daniel Bryan. She kissed CM Punk and then skipped away. And uh, Santino, Sergeant Slaughter, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan took on Hunico, Camacho, and Drew McIntyre. So, of course, it was a nice uh, Great American Bash-themed six-man tag match. I'm not even going to acknowledge the results because you all know how this was going to go. Now, somebody whose sightings were not seen on Raw was on SmackDown this week. And that, my friends, was Ryback. He actually got a little step up in competition, taking on Kurt Hawkins after a a little bit of an angle with him and Tyler Rex where they flipped the coin and Hawkins takes on Ryback. And we all know how that ended. Pretty much murder, death, kill. Scrape Kurt Hawkins off the mat. But the the potential for a feud with these three guys is definitely there. And I'm going to go into that a little bit further in the segment. The 20-man battle royal to close things out. The winner gets to be the SmackDown general manager next week. And it was actually a pretty fun battle royal, which ended with Zack Ryder being the survivor. Him and Kane were the last two. And he managed to use his wits and... Uh, duck when Kane was coming towards him, thus eliminating himself. So Zack Ryder will be your GM next week for SmackDown. Now, that's all fine and dandy, but last time I checked, the GMs were supposed to be former GMs that were going to be hosts for Raw and SmackDown. You did this angle with Zack Ryder. He's GM of SmackDown. Shouldn't he be GM of Raw also? I mean, doesn't that make the most fucking sense? But again, this is the WWE. Sense goes out the fucking window some days and... This was one of those times. I will say that the Great American Bash was a better uh, television program this week than Raw, which is crazy because, you know, they built Raw as the flagship, but SmackDown was definitely the better of the programs this week. Uh, TNA Impact, uh, I was going to go into a little bit, but um, all I got to say is that it was it was pretty solid. I don't have all the stuff in front of me because I didn't get to... Uh, watch the show in its entirety, but TNA Impact is slowly but surely getting back in my good graces. Less less angles, more great wrestling. As usual, we're starting to see more good X Division matches out there. Uh, we got to see Dakota Darso, who is the uh, son of the Repo Man, who was also Smash. He was in an X Division qualifying match, which was very good, I heard. Also, Kenny King from uh, Ring of Honor. Took on Lars only. Definitely a match that everybody's telling me I should check out. I'll be watching it after we're done on the show. And uh, Jeff Hardy and James Storm in a Bound for Glory uh, qualifier match was surprisingly good. So hopefully I'll be able to check that out and give you guys a full breakdown next week. But like I said, TNA's been surprising me as of late. Delivering more wrestling, less Hogan, which is always good. But let's get into the rest of the wrestling news for this week. A couple of things. Of course, the story that made the rounds earlier on this week was the hacking of Booker T's Twitter account by a racist group called, um, what the hell was it called? I believe it was called the, well, it redirected uh, Twitter's uh, Booker T's account to the realityofwrestling.com, well, from his website, Reality of Wrestling, to a KKK site. It's really crazy what went down because the person put out a message, it was, uh, very racially charged and they hacked his Twitter account and his website. Uh, as of right now, I believe he's got control of the site and his Twitter back, but very unfortunate to see stuff like that, especially 
um, when hate speech was involved. Uh, not cool, but good to see at least that Booker managed to resolve that only because when these alleged Twitter account hackings happen, a lot of times it's because it's just people voicing their own opinions and they don't want to be responsible for what they say. But Booker T legitimately got his Twitter account and website hacked and it was just real unfortunate. Some of the hate speech that was said and you know, you guys got to definitely improve your security, especially on the Twitter front. Um, just a, a reminder. And it's a PSA to some degree. Don't click any links of from people you don't fucking know. Don't open up DMS of people you don't know, because that's how your shit gets hacked. Um, from the website of things, who knows what could have happened, but it, again, it's just a, a blemish. And the fact that that racial shit like that exists, especially in such a huge huge outlet like Twitter is is, it's sickening man it really is fucked up a list that's sure to fucking ruffle a couple of feathers is that WWE.com decided to compile a list of of John Cena's top 50 matches now John Cena is not a shitty wrestler but his matches really aren't that great there's very few notable matches in there but I will cite the top 5 matches because I want to read them to you and I know a lot of you are going to agree or disagree with the matches. Number five was John Cena taking on CM Punk at Money in the Bank 2011. John Cena versus Triple H at WrestleMania 22. John Cena versus Randy Orton Bragging Rights 2009. John Cena versus Shawn Michaels Raw April 23rd 2007. John Cena versus Edge at Unforgiven 2006. Now those matches were good. You know they were they were awesome. But the best match in John Cena's career is a match that was very, very low on the list, bordering into the 30s, early 40s, and that was John Cena taking on Eddie Guerrero in the street fight on SmackDown. That was the match that I felt made John Cena super popular. Don't, you know, his match with... I can't even believe his tag team match with The Rock against The Miz and R-Truth from Survivor Series is on this fucking list, because that match was complete shit. I also feel that his match with Rob Van Dam at the original ECW One Night Stand in 2006 shouldn't have been placed 15th. It should have been a lot higher because that match had tremendous significance for a a lot of reasons. Of course, Rob Van Dam winning the belt and the history behind that. All that shit should have been addressed in a top five uh, listing and not placing that in number 15th. And like I said, his match with Eddie Guerrero was amazing. Amazing. If you give a... If you have a chance and you can pay, watch it on YouTube, I recommend you do. I'm going to see if I post it on the fan page after the show so you guys can check that out. But to cite these top five matches with with you know him and CM Punk from 2011 was, was, was a top five match, I honestly don't think so. His match with Brock Lesnar, which happened not too long ago, was number eight. <sighs> I don't know, man. These lists, they're always up for interpretation, but... A lot of the matches that are on here are complete bullshit. Simple as that. In some TNA departures, Angelina Love is no longer with TNA. Neither is Shannon Moore. Now, Angelina Love has not been used in a while. Of course, she was one half of the beautiful people with Velvet Sky. And, you know, I'm a little bummed that she wasn't used and that she left the company. I think she was probably one of the best natural heels that TNA had in its knockouts division. Uh, There's rumors that WWE may be interested in her, and frankly, their division needs all the help it can get. I think Angelina Love is a good wrestler. Um, She's not, you know, super four-star caliber, but she's good. She can put on some great matches, but her strength comes from her mic work and also from the fact of how she carries her character. While 
everybody can say that Maurice was a natural heel. I honestly think that Angelina Love was a natural heel long before Maurice got the hang of how to make it work. And frankly, her work with the beautiful people was probably some of the best television I've seen in a while from the knockouts. I mean, you know, they tried to do it with Lay Cool, which was not the same. Angelina Love deserves a shot in the WWE. She was there previously and she left because she was in the minors. But I think she'd be a great asset to the Divas. She'd be a great heel. And I'm sure she'd get over with the fans very quickly. As for Shannon Moore's departure, we hadn't seen him in a while, and I'm kind of bummed to see him leave. He was a great guy for the X Division. Um, Based on what he said, he's going to take some time off, take a break, and, um, you know, he he may come back, he may not, but I think Shannon Moore's a guy that if WWE decides to go with the lighter guys and do the cruiserweight stuff, he'd make a welcome addition. He's a pretty solid wrestler, has great high-flying offense, and I I like the way the guy handles himself in the ring. He's He's a... He's a unique talent. I mean, you know, you look at the guys like the Hardys and you got to look at Shannon Moore and Hurricane Helms in that same group just because those guys all wrestled together. They, uh, they've been around each other for years and they picked up a lot of stuff and they're all great additions to any high-flying roster in any division. Who knows? Maybe Shannon Moore will end up in Ring of Honor. I mean, he might do good there only because it'll allow him to expand his wrestling repertoire a little bit, but... We'll see how it pans out. Good luck for Shannon. And, of course, hopefully Angelina Love will end up in the WWE. Frankly, I think maybe her and Karma can put on some good matches, especially after their history in TNA. In some Wade Barrett news, I'm actually glad to hear that he's uh, getting ready to make his return to TV. Um, He dislocated his elbow in March. He had to go under the knife to get it fixed. And... The original plan was for him to win Money in the Bank at WrestleMania. Of course, his injury scrapped that entire angle. Whether he, I doubt he's going to come back this, you know, this week or next week. If we do see Wade Barrett, I am almost certain it's going to be during the 1,000th episode of Raw, which is fine. I think that that'd be a great way to make for him to make his return. And Wade Barrett's good on the mic. He has that look to him. I just think that the problem was he was involved in some really shitty feuds. He was doing really well for a while, and then they kind of just kicked him to the curb. So hopefully he comes back, gets himself a nice a nice main event push, and I think he'll do really good with that. As I was mentioning before, Ryback defeated Kerr Hawkins on SmackDown, and they were trying to expand on the angle a little bit on Twitter. Hawkins put out a tweet that stated, uh, Well, that meathead at Ryback22 clearly cheated tonight. Good news. I have an in with the SmackDown GM next week. We go way back. Obviously, he is referring to Zack Ryder when they were uh, part of the Edgeheads with Edge Edge early on. So I'm sure we're going to see something else happen with Ryback next week. And um, Rex also added to it. He said, "Think, think Kurt Hawkins would be mad if he knew the coin we tossed for our match was rigged. No worries. We're not done with Ryback yet. So clearly they're going to start building up a little feud with Ryback, which is good. Because I think him squashing guys every week, while it's cool to watch and the crowd really gets into it, pushing him and and stepping up the competition just goes to show that he's not so one-dimensional. And if he keeps having dominant performances, it'll put him up there um, to where guys are going to take notice. And they're going to root for him in matches against higher caliber talent. And they're also going to cheer for matches with higher caliber talent. So Hawkins and Rex are definitely a step in that direction. I really hope that they do that and they continue to improve that. But yeah, throw the occasional squash out there just to keep people chomping at the bit for Ryback. Simple as that. 
That's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. We're going to talk some video games. Let's get right into it. My Take Radio's video game segment is brought to you by Gamefly. Rent all the hottest games and keep them for as long as you want, including PC games. Plans start at $5.95. If you have read MyTakeRadio.com for a long time, you know that we use Gamefly for our Gamefly Q reviews. Um, you get any of the newest titles you want delivered straight to your house. Uh, keep them for as long as you want, then you drop them in the mailbox. No postage necessary. Um, you can rent Xbox titles, PS3 titles, Wii titles, even some DS titles as well, and PC titles also. So uh, if you don't have a Gamefly account, I definitely recommend that you get the games fairly quick. And when you do drop them in the mailbox, most times, if you've been with them for a while, they have a new plan where if the post office scans your game, uh, Gamefly receives the scan, and they'll drop the game in the mail for you before they even receive the game you sent back, which is really cool. Um, it's a quick turnaround. Usually I can drop a game in the mail Monday. It'll get scanned by Tuesday. I'll probably have a new game by Thursday. Most times Friday, the latest. So definitely give Gamefly a shot. Like I said, plans start at five ninety five. Let's start off with a bit of, I, I kind of want to go and call this what the fuck gaming news, but I'm not shocked in, in any event with this only because Whenever you have movies coming out, especially movies with tremendous fanfare, they try wa- they try to find ways to create some sort of a video game tie-in, whether it's a mobile game or a tablet game or a browser-based game. There's always something. So it doesn't come as a shock to me that Ubisoft announced that they're going to be doing a video game version of Expendables 2. Basically, the way the game works is you're going to be able to play cooperative with, uh, with up to four players, either locally or online, and... The plot's going to center around you trying to rescue a kidnapped billionaire, and you're going to be able to play as Stallone, uh, Terry Crews, Dolph Lundgren, and Jet Li. And it's going to play a little bit like Contra, uh, a little, a lot of run and gun. I mean, it's coming out for Xbox Live Arcade and the PlayStation Network and the PC, so don't expect you know super crazy graphics. But it looks like, based on the screenshots I've seen, it's something that's going to be fairly enjoyable. I mean, if it's cheap, it'll be something good to pass the time. I mean... If you build it and 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 market it similar to the way Contra plays, I think people are definitely are definitely going to want to pick it up. And I think that maybe they can do a tie-in where you know if you if you go to see the movie opening weekend, and you know participating theaters will give you a code for the game, something something like that, just to give people the incentive to want to play it. It's it's a step in the right direction. I would I would never have thought in a million years that they'd make a game for the Expendables, but they did. In some DLC news, if you got that Left 4 Dead 2 collecting dust in the corner, pick it up, blow that dust off, and get ready to throw it back into your Xbox 360. Uh, Digital Spy reported that a cold Steam pack will be released for the Mac, PC, and Xbox 360 on July 24th. This DLC pack is going to come with new maps including Cold Steam, Blood Harvest, Crash Course, Dead Air, Death Toll, and No Mercy. Valve also went on record as saying that they will be including some surprises and other details that they are not going to unveil until July 24th. So if you're a Left 4 Dead 2 fan and you still got it around, you'll be able to pick up some more DLC and extend the life of the game just a little longer. And some other DLC news, and 
um, especially for Call of Duty fans. Another way for you guys to get your pockets raped. Uh, coming soon reports that they're going to be releasing a multiplayer map called of Nuketown um, from the original Call of Duty Black Ops. It's going to be available in Black Ops 2, and it's going to be billed as Nuketown 2025. So for those of you that are fans of that map, you'll be able to get that with launch units of the game when you pre-order it at participating retailers, probably Best Buy, GameStop, and more than likely Amazon. But knowing the way they do things, probably it's going to be GameStop getting that particular bit of DLC. Um, Mark Lamia, who's the studio head of Treyarch, said that multiplayer fans of Black Ops love Nuketown, and they're going to have the opportunity to play a reimagined version with Call of Duty Black Ops 2 this November. Black Ops 2 drops November 13th. So be on the lookout for that. If you're a fan, like I said, of the Nuketown maps, do yourselves a favor and pre-order it. In some other DLC news, if you're playing the um, Modern Warfare 3, they're going to be releasing a favorite map from Modern Warfare 2, which is Terminal. And that's going to be coming out July 17th for people that have elite accounts and July 18th for non-elites. And it's going to be free for everyone, which is a first. I mean, honestly... When it comes to map packs, I pretty much feel that everybody's pockets are going to get raped in most insta- in most instances. But I got to give credit where credit is due releasing this map, um, especially a favorite map like Terminal, for free. So do yourselves a favor, pick that up July 17th, and give a little bit of extra life to Modern Warfare 3 before uh, the next Modern Warfare comes out. Like I said, these... Um, First-person shooter games, I like playing them. I just hate being nickel and dimed on map packs and expansions just because it almost feels like they're taking shortcuts and not completing the fucking game in most inst- in most instances, but what can you do? I mean, a free map is a free map, and it's a map that people like, so fuck it. Now, limited editions. Slick and I have talked about limited editions of games, and we have love-hate relationships with them. Sometimes they're really worth the investment, other times they're not, and if you wait at least a couple of months, you'll be able to pick up those limited editions either for regular retail price or for a reduced price. Well, Ubisoft announced that Assassin's Creed 3 is getting a limited edition. No big fucking shocker there. It's going to run you $120, and it's going to come with a 24 by 48 colonial american flag inspired by the game you're also going to get a nine inch statue of connor which you'll be able to add to you know your desk or wherever i think the statue itself i've seen some pictures it looks pretty cool i don't know about that shit being 120 bucks they're also going to be including a metal belt buckle oh yeah super excited for an assassin's creed belt buckle guys super pumped but um like i said limited editions Got a love-hate relationship with them. I mean, the statue looks pretty cool. Is it worth the extra 60 bucks? No. Like I said, if you're really an Assassin's Creed diehard fan, it's going to run you 120 for the full set. But if you want to pick up the statue down the road, who knows, you might be able to bag the statue uh, sold by itself on eBay, or you might just wait and pick up the game when they discount that limited edition. But 120 bucks, honestly, your, your money is best served elsewhere. Simple as that. In some other news, Xbox Live's music service, they uh, broke some news on Bloomberg about it. It's going to come in two models. You're going to have a streaming uh, ser- a streaming service that you're going to pay for monthly or yearly, and you're also going to be able to buy individual songs as well without a subscription. They're also going to be unveiling an online locker, which is going to let owners, of course, store their music collections online for a fee. 
similar to what iTunes is doing. I think um, Microsoft is really, really busting their ass to ensure that the Xbox is the central hub for any man's for any person's home theater system, which is fine. I think it's a it's a great step in that direction. Um, the only thing I do have to say though is that if you want to have all these services and all this stuff, you guys really got to come up with a better way to to increase the storage capacity of your Xbox. I'm really tired of fucking Steve Bomber bending every gamer over and fucking them in the ass with this whole oh we have proprietary hard drives bullshit because what happens is you're buying hard drives for that are a fraction of the cost retail and you're paying an arm and a leg for them you want to have people host their music collections and add all these different apps and all this shit and dlcs and map packs and content and most people are getting xboxes with whatever 200 300 gigs but you also want people to download full games i think we're at a point where microsoft should allow us to add our own expanding storage whether it's you know relegated to small hard drives capped out at 500 gigs or not going any bigger than a terabyte but honestly at this point i think microsoft has safeguarded their games enough that they shouldn't be concerned about storage expansion on an individual basis Honestly, Sony, you can go, I can pop my PS3 open, do a little bit of magic, and before you know it, boom, I got increased storage capacity, 500 gigs, a terabyte, whatever. Xbox just continues to make this shit difficult, and they want people to use all these services and buy all these games and download all this shit, but they're really fucking us, literally fucking us with the storage capabilities that they are releasing for the xbox units not only that but just the fact that you can't expand it on your own it's really complete bullshit in some other news i wanted to talk a little bit about capcom this week uh, a couple of reasons first off i'm a huge fan of capcom uh, capcom art primarily street fighter art i got a couple of street fighter art books um and i've really come to the conclusion that udon puts out some of the best art books for street fighter Well, Superhero Hype actually reported that they're going to be dropping a Marvel vs. Capcom art book starting from 1993's game with the Punisher all the way to the Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 universe. It's going to be about 200 pages. It's going to have artwork, like I said, from the Punisher game, which was a favorite of mine. X-Men Children of the Atom, Marvel Super Heroes, X-Men vs. Street Fighter, Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter, and of course... Marvel vs. Capcom 1, 2, and 3, and Ultimate as well. It's going to be hardcover, which is going to be available at Comic-Con for 100 bucks. But if you want to save that 100 you can wait for the softcover edition, which is dropping in November for $45. Um, like I said, Udon does an amazing, amazing art style. For a lot of the Street Fighter characters, including uh, Darkstalkers and some of the other characters from the Capcom universe. And to see them do this and expand on this, it's um, it's going to be worth looking into for sure. Like I said, 45 bucks in November. But if you're at Comic-Con, it's going to run you $100 for the hardcover edition. Now, this isn't the only story regarding Capcom this week. Of course, we're going to get a little double dip from them. Um, recently announced, and I put the video on My Take Radio's Facebook fan page, they're going to be releasing Marvel vs. Capcom Origins which is going to be coming out in September. It's going to be $15 on the PSN and 1,200 Microsoft points on Xbox Live. And you're going to be able to play the original Marvel vs. Capcom, but you're also going to play Marvel Super Heroes as well. 
for those of us, for those of you guys that are attending Evo this weekend, you'll be able to play that. Uh, Noel Brown was supposed to be calling us from Evo this week. Unfortunately, um, you know, his schedule didn't permit him to do so, but much like we did last year, we're going to call, we're going to be speaking with Noel Brown next week post Evo. So we can talk about, um, his participation in the Evo event. And of course I want to hear what he has to say about the Marvel versus Capcom origins, because that's going to have online capabilities as well. I honestly think that, um, redoing them and releasing them. I mean, it's 15 bucks each game. It, each game is basically seven fifty a piece. Um, Marvel Superheroes is a great game. I like playing as Thanos with the Infinity Gems, and that was always fun. So, look, for me to sit here and say that Capcom is 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 fucking people over is is a no brainer. But they released Marvel vs. Capcom two. They've released Third Strike Online. They've released uh, the Darkstalkers Collection, which we've seen on the PSN. So. To release these games and add online capabilities at seven fifty a pop, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, the only thing I would have liked is for them to release it as a disc as well, only because stuff like that I like to own on disc. I'm just weird like that. But hey, it's fifteen bucks, and you'll be picking it up this September. But if you are at Evo, you'll be able to play it there. Some of the improvements they added, graphics filters, some dynamic challenges, spectator mode, you'll be able to save your replays, and of course, online play as well. So be on the lookout for that in September. In some other remake news, a game that I'm very happy to see get the HD the HD treatment, Knights, which a lot of you played on the Sega Saturn, is coming out this fall for Xbox Live Arcade, PSN, and PC as well. Uh, they're remastering it with a 169 aspect ratio they're also going to include a saturn mode which is going to revert the graphics back to the original look seen on the sega saturn as of right now there's no word if they're going to include the christmas nights content but i really hope that they do only because nights was one of those games that it was in my opinion extremely advanced and ahead of its time when it came out and they never really expanded on it too much and it just looked like a game that would benefit from a refresh and uh, a relaunch, but unfortunately we're just going to get an HD remake and we're just going to deal with that. Uh, Slick is telling me that they re-released Knights in a trip. It's a triple dip. Really? When did, when did they release Knights? Slick? just uh, drop it in the chat because I, if I would have known they would have released it, I would have picked it up. I mean, an HD remake is fine in my book only because the graphics will be better, but I'll look into it. And if you happen to come across the information, um, drop it on the, uh, in the chat. Ah, Quark hits us with the information that it was released on the PS2. Huh? Fuck. Now I got to dig in the crates. Maybe, maybe I have a, uh, uh, an illegally obtained copy buried in a drawer somewhere. Don't judge me, folks. Don't judge me. This was during the PS2 days. What do you want? Anyway, Last bit of gaming news to wrap things up, and I'm sure Quark and a lot of other people are going to be a little annoyed about this. Uh, they're going to be releasing a brand new Dragon Ball Z Budokai compilation in high definition. Um, it's going to be called the Dragon Ball Z Budokai HD Collection. It's going to be coming to the PS3 and the 360 uh, this winter. And the collection, get this, is only going to have Budokai 1 and Budokai 3. They left out Budokai 2 for some reason. Why? I don't know. But Budokai and Budokai 3 are going to be released 
as an HD collection for the PS3 and 360. They're saying right now that it's going to be exclusive in Europe, but somehow I doubt that, and we'll be seeing that in the U.S. as well. Um, Budokai and Budokai 3 in the Dragon Ball Z HD collection. Pretty light on the gaming front this week. We're going to jump right into movie news because uh, we got a couple of things to talk about. And to welcome us into the movie segment this week, our favorite teddy bear in the world is going to intro it for us. Ted, take it away. Come on, let's sing the thunder song. All right. When, when you, you hear, hear the sound of thunder, thunder, don't you get too scared. Just grab your thunder buddy and say these magic words. Fuck you, thunder. You can suck my dick. You can't get me thunder because you're just God's fuss. There you go. And with that, first off, let's talk box office numbers. And Ted slated at the box office this weekend. $54.1 million. It is the highest non-sequel R-rated comedy opening of all time. It made $16,000 on average, and it played in 3,239 theaters. It had a budget of $50 million. It already broke budget. Extremely profitable. Uh, Super pumped. I'm actually glad to see that. A couple of reasons why. R-rated comedies are very paint-by-numbers. It's always shit like The Hangover, or shit like American Pie, or Project X, just shit we've seen before. Ted is some as a concept we haven't seen in a while, something different, and I'm really glad to see it be successful. I liked what Quark said a while back, that if you liked Family Guy, when if you were a fan of Family Guy when it was funny, then you'll enjoy Ted. And I agree, I mean, Family Guy over the years has gotten a little bit more watered down, taking itself a little bit too serious but family old school family guy holy shit was that was that the shit quark mentions in the chat that how is project x paint by numbers projects project x i say it's paint by numbers because it's something we've already seen i mean if you watch porky's growing up you'd understand what i'm talking about like shit like that you're not you're not revolutionizing the genre uh, stuff like Porky's, hardcore party flicks that we've seen with teenagers, Van Wilder, um, even American Pie. We could go down that list. They all fall into that genre. Project X, in my opinion, my opinion, wasn't doing anything we haven't seen before. I'm, I'm not saying that it sucked. Uh, Animal House. Thank you, Slick. You know what I mean? It falls into that same genre. I, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but Ted was just something different. It was a breath of fresh air that um, it just worked. It worked, and the crowd got behind it, and there's a reason why it was number one. Magic Mike was number two. Brave was number three. Tyler Perry's Medea's Witness Protection was number four. I can't even believe people are still watching these fucking movies. Madagascar was number five. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was six. There's going to be a review for that on MyTakeRadio.com, hopefully this evening. Uh, Prometheus was seven, which I reviewed earlier. If you haven't checked it out, look for the review on MyTakeRadio.com. Moonrise Kingdom was number 8, Snow White and the Huntsman was 9, and People Like Us was number 10. So a pretty pretty solid opening at the box office. Spider-Man, of course, came out Tuesday, and I'm going to talk about that later on in the, se- in the segment. But one thing I do have to talk about w- w- with regards to Spider-Man is that the, the box office numbers for that film definitely, in my opinion, deserve an asterisk just because they had a huge huge amount of of time to really pad those numbers you had midnight showings 
Fourth of July weekend, you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And again, uh, the success that it's going to have, uh, I have no problem with it. But again, you're not saying that it made that money from Friday to Monday. It had ample time. So before anybody goes saying, oh, you know, Amazing Spider-Man was fucking awesome. It made all this money. It made all this money because it had the time to make that money. Would the totals have been different had it been released on a Friday for Saturday and Sunday release? Maybe. But just something that I feel that people really should take into consideration before they fucking cream in their pants about certain things. Simple as that. While I'm on the subject of Marvel films, I did want to talk about um, a couple of news out of the Marvel Universe. Of course, Iron Man 3 is currently being filmed, and they're saying that the ending of that film is going to set up a potential Ant-Man movie. So... We may get an Ant-Man introduced post-credit, and that's going to lead into an Ant-Man film, which I don't know if they're going to do it. Uh, some people are saying it's going to be CGI. Some people are going to be saying it's a, a, uh, an in-theater release. I don't know. But, yeah, folks, the Ant-Man thing is going to happen. Edgar Wright is really trying to get that out there. I don't know, like I said, if it's going to be in theaters or not, but I doubt that people are going to sit through a fucking Ant-Man movie in the theater. Now, if you do something, you know, direct a video, maybe something animated, have a little fun with it, that might work. But making people pay seven fifty to watch a guy that fucking grows big and shrinks little and talks to fucking ants, I don't know, definitely not the way to go. Disney did confirm, though, that they are doing an animated film based on the Big Hero 6, which I talked about last week. They did confirm it. Uh, Entertainment Weekly said that the studio will be bringing the animated Big, big Hero 6 Two theaters with a uh, release date possible of 2014. That's going to include Silver Samurai, Sunfire, Gogo Tamago, Honey Lemon, uh, Hiro Takashiho, and Baymax. Um, right now, they're really not sure, and that's something that I'm not surprised is going to be an issue uh, regarding Silver Samurai and Sunfire because those are X Men characters which are owned by Fox, which is an issue. This is the shit I've talked about with studios owning the rights to these characters. They're Marvel characters first and foremost, and I hate that you got to have these studios pretty much holding them hostage. Uh, Silver Samurai, of course, is of particular concern because he's planning to be, uh, it's a character that's planned to be used in Wolverine. So I don't know how they're going to do it, but we shall see what happens. I'm, a I'm actually really enjoying the fact that Disney has embraced Marvel so well, and they're trying to get so many properties out there, but this can also shoot them in the foot. Because it might be too much too soon, and a lot of shit is going to get lost in the shuffle. Now, Spider-Man got the whole reimagining treatment. It's in theaters. Everybody's fucking creaming in their pants. Some people are saying it was great. Some people are saying it was sucked. Me, personally, I feel that the, the lizard looks like a mongoloid Goomba from the Mario Brothers movies, but whatever. Uh, they, they were basing the lizard on an old art style, so... I think that's definitely something that I got to take into consideration for for it, you know, for what it's worth. But I also feel that <clears throat> this brand new mythology is opening up a brand new Pandora's box, which I'm going to expand on in a minute. I've just been informed that Slick is on the line. <clears throat> Let me bring him on real quick. Slick, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? What do you got for me, my friend? Disney is really pissing me off right now. Really? How I, so? I make fun of a friend of mine that keeps pumping this, but it's like the very mention of an Ant-Man movie just 
pushes the point. It's like, I mean, the Avengers has a lot of good characters to explore. And then you have people like Ant-Man and Wasp, who should re really either be in the Avengers movie or just not mentioned at all. Why the fuck are you making an Ant-Man movie when you could be making a Black Panther movie? This is this is very true, but here's here's the funny thing with that. I understand where you're coming from, but when you look at the core Avengers roster, Ant-Man is always in there somehow. Whether he's there as Giant Man, Hank Pym, Ant-Man, uh, creating the Vision, creating Ultron. Now, smart money would be that you set up Ant-Man, you bring him in. If you do a straight-to-video or you do something else, you do something small, something intimate, not, not costing a, a millions and millions of dollars. You set that up. And the reason that you're setting that up is maybe because you we're going to use Ultron in the next Avengers movie. You kind of need Hank Pym to set up Ultron or even the Vision for that matter. Now, I do agree. This doesn't deserve a giant fucking production. It really doesn't because Ant-Man is... I, I group him in the same category as fucking Aquaman, Namor the Submariner, and Rocket Raccoon, and Howard the Duck. They're funny in theory, but no, but people could give two fucks about them. That's a fact. But I understand where the setup is coming from. Does it deserve a, a, a big box office production? Hell no. But does the story need to be told to set up something else? Yes. Look at this whole big but thing about... Does it need to be a, a, a separate movie? No. no. Nope. Because you could have Hank Pym as a freaking Stark employee. Yep. You could have Hank Pym... In an Avengers movie, just in the background, doing shit. You could have Hank Pym sitting at a table while the Avengers freaking, you know, get ready to kick somebody's ass. You could have him sitting at a table working on Ultron's head. Well, honestly, well, honestly, I would use the approach they did for a guy like that they used with Agent Coulson. Introduce Hank Pym gradually in the movies, and then just have him run away with it. You get what I'm saying? They did that with Agent Coulson. It worked. And, and, you know, Agent Coulson became, a you know, just like a staple. You knew, you're like, oh, fuck. As soon as he showed up, you knew some shit was going to go down. You kind of want to do the same thing. I understand that Edgar Wright is really, really, really pulling for this to go down. And Edgar Wright has a pretty good track record, so he, he has to have some crazy shit up his sleeve. Um, Using Ant Iron Man 3 as the as the catalyst for an Ant-Man movie, again, not something I'd like to see. I mean, you could just as easily do a, a small feature with Hawkeye and Black Widow and throw Ant-Man in there in some shape or form. Maybe he's the guy that designs their weapons, and then he decides to, to suit up and take the battle out there with them. You could throw Wasp in there, have a little fun with that, and just, you know, build something. You could call it, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. Something, something else. And, and have it tie together. And again, I'm not saying to go out and spend $200 million to put this shit together. But if you want to expand on this universe and you want to make it all all encompassing and you want to put all these movies out, you have to find, like you were saying, you got to find ways to kind of stick those characters in there because people aren't going to be dropping $14 to watch a guy that talks to fucking bugs. It's not going to happen. And then they're going to be all pissed. Oh, you know, Ant-Man was, um, you know, it was all right. We weren't really sure how people would embrace that character nobody's gonna give a fuck about that guy when you look at the cover of marvel's avengers you see iron man thor and captain america and a bunch of other guys 
those guys are interchangeable. The only guys that are not interchangeable that are part of that roster are Wolverine and Spider-Man, just because, you know, those guys are, 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 are big players in the Marvel Universe. But Ant-Man, Vision, that lame fucking Wonder Man, he's another fucking lame piece of shit. And I guarantee you, they'll find a way to squeeze his ass in there, too. I don't know that. I mean, you had at least mediocre success with freaking Blade. They got three movies out of it. You're starting. You're starting to break up. I was saying they had mediocre success with Blade. They got three movies out of that. Up, still, still breaking up. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let me mute you and bring you back on. I don't know what's going on with Slick over there, but uh, let me try this again. How about now? Try that. I think it's you, dude. Are you doing anything else on your computer? Or are you in an area with terrible, terrible reception? Huh. Nothing. You know what? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put you on hold and I'll bring you back on until it clears up. Maybe it might be me on Skype. All right, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know if it's me or if it's Slick. Um, I will bring him on because we only got a couple of news bits left. Um, Of course, like I was talking about before, I brought him on, the Amazing Spider-Man in theaters, making all this money. Uh, Coming Soon reported that that this particular uh, Spider-Man reboot will be a trilogy. There's a strong rumor going around that I saw on Collider.com that they want to try and do something with the Sinister Six. I don't know how the fuck that's going to work. Um... If you look on Spider-Man's Facebook page, you will notice something very interesting. It says, it's finally here. The Amazing Spider-Man is the first installment in a movie trilogy that will explore how our favorite hero's journey was shaped by the disappearance of his parents. I don't know if you guys have checked that out on the fan page, but that's definitely something of note. As of right now, of course, like I said, they, they've, um, and Slick mentioned it in the, ch- in the chat, it's already clocked in at $108 million, and, um... I think it's gonna it's gonna do a, a really good haul. I'm just concerned that it it's gonna get lost in the shuffle as soon as the Dark Knight comes out in two weeks. There there there'll be no stopping it. There will be no stopping the Dark Knight once it once it's in theaters. It's game over for all these all these movies are hanging out right now. Ted and and Amazing Spider Man, Magic Mike, all those movies. But as soon as the Dark Knight comes out, it's just gonna be astronomical box office results. I, it's just fact. It is the way it is. In terms of the Amazing Spider-Man becoming a trilogy, I really saw it going in that direction. But these rumors talking about like the Sinister Six and all this shit, I, for right now, I just take those as rumors. Only because what you saw the Lizard and maybe uh, Osborn got men- mentioned in there, and you're kind of referencing the Ultimate Universe. Okay, but it's gonna be very difficult for you to set that up in two films. We already see how it bit Marvel in the ass when they tried to bring Venom to the screen so quickly. I think that they should really just take their time, let this play out, put together a solid story, good mythology, and bring in characters that people are going to really want to see and stop worrying about the big budget uh, effects-driven super movie because that's what ended up happening with the with Spider-Man 3 and we see how poorly received that was. Let me see if Slick is good to go. Let me try and bring him back in. Slick. What's up, man? There you go. 
Crystal clear. I'm not feeling the Sinister Six in a Spider-Man movie. At least not Hell like, no. really focusing on them. Because it's like, I mean, they're an awesome group as a as the collective Spider-Man villain. But it's like, I mean, depending on who you go with, I mean, other than Dr. Octopus, it's a bunch of fucking clowns. Who the fuck is going to give a shit about the Vulture's old ass? Well, who, look, Rhino, look, I can, we don't need Sandman again. Look, I can fly and I use Polygrip. Who gives a shit? He's fucking lame as shit. Garbage. He is a garbage villain. I He's about as worthless as fucking Stiltman. You know, Stiltman is a worthless fucking villain. But the, the Vulture, they try to make him seem cool. But it's like, dude, you're a bored senior citizen with a fucking chicken costume. You are not cool. I mean, same thing with Mysterio. I kind of like Mysterio. He, he's kind of cool, but his costume is just borderline lame. Look at this giant fishbowl with these Mysterio eyes on my chest. Carry a whole movie. He could. I, that's what I, he can carry a whole movie, but uh, there's gonna need to be some costume cool. tweaking. Not by he can carry a whole movie, but he has to be a guy pulling the strings for another guy. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you need one guy who's gonna be physical, like like Rhino. Rhino could be the physical guy, but you know you you want to go with a guy like Mysterio as the as the brains behind that, which is fine. You can do that because you can have Spider Man fight the Rhino for a, for a majority of the movie, and you can have some fun with that, a little destruction, some controlled chaos. But you can't you can't just make think about this. You want to do a trilogy, and you want to quote unquote set up the Sinister Six as, as rumors dictate. How are you going to squeeze that out in two films? You know, maybe Green Goblin in the first one and, you know, maybe you throw in one guy in there with him and then he loses at the end of the film and he goes, maybe I need to go back and find guys just like me. And then, you know, you could you could close that out and then have him look at like a dossier of guys. And knowing knowing Hollywood like I do, the Sinister Six that they'll use will be nothing like the Sinister Six we've seen in comics. Unless they want to go crazy and throw venom in there, you know, make it be, make it venom, um, Doctor Octopus, the Green Goblin, the Lizard, uh, maybe Mysterio if you want to have some fun with that, and the Scorpion. I think the Scorpion would work really That's good. That's who I really want to see in a yep. movie. I want the Scorpion, and I'd actually rather they bring shit forward since you, we've already seen Venom. Make Gargan the Scorpion. I think Gargan as the Scorpion and, and and throwing in that J. Jonah Jameson story where, you know, he finances the creation of the Scorpion to combat Spider-Man, dude, is begging for a big screen treatment. Begging for it. I think that shit would work perfectly as its own standalone film. It would. So if they want to set up a Venom movie, you could use Gargan as, the, as Venom as a setup for a Venom movie because... You have a story right there, just the fact that Gargan, sorry, Gargan spends all his time in the symbiote fucking terrified to go to sleep. Yep, that is true. You can do... Terrified of the symbiote. You can do a lot of stuff with that, and I think that would work. My own, Like I said, my only problem with this particular Spider-Man mythology is the fact that it's not 100% well-received. Like, I've got, like, I've talked... I think I've talked to 12 people that have seen it. And 
Seven of them say it was good. You know? And the other five are like, eh. You know, some people some people didn't like the lizard. Some people didn't like the way that the plot came together to set up like all the confrontations between Spider-Man and the lizard. Like they seemed very forced. I you know, I gotta see it for the myself to judge. The reason why I don't like the lizard, I mean, I haven't even seen the movie yet, but you spent three movies that are basically a totally different storyline because they completely dropped the whole concept of the last three movies. Yep. Doc Connors was in all three, and you never saw the lizard. Nope. Now nope. you want to change shit and go, you know, completely erase that whole story, and now all of a sudden Doc Connors is right there. It's like we've seen him. At this point, we don't care anymore. Well, we should have really used the Scorpion. I mean, my my whole my whole thing was originally, um, you know, we've talked about this. Sam Raimi wanted to go with the Sandman, and and you know, New Goblin, and that worked. Whatever, that would have been kind of cool. Just leaving it like that because I think it would have added that level of complexity to the story, where you have the villain that's kind of forced to be the villain, and then you have the guy who's brainwashed to be the villain. And you and you and that would have worked, dude. I had no problem with New Goblin. Did I like the costume? No, but did it fit into the storyline? Yeah, because, you know, Green Goblin's son has become a goblin before. You know, that works. The problem with Spider-Man 3 always has been emo Spider-Man and the forcing of Venom. Because Venom was forced in there. You can see just the placement of the character, the placement of Eddie Brock. It was all forced from start to finish. Like, you can tell that it was just... I, I It's like taking color forms... Of one cartoon, putting them on uh, together, and then me grabbing a color form of like Voltron and throwing it in a Care Bears color form set. That's what the shit is, dude. It's like here, stick this fucker in there, because that's what Marvel did. Marvel went to Raimi and they're like, "All right, well, we want Venom in this movie." You know that Raimi was extremely adamant about including him in there because he just felt he didn't work, which is true. Venom is a separate trilogy all his own. You can have the arrival of the sin- of the symbiote in the first, Spider-Man wearing it in the second, Venom unveiled in the third. See what I'm saying? It's own fucking trilogy. And along the way, you can throw in bit villains as the setup. You know, guys like Rhino, guys like the Shocker, the Beetle, um, you know, Speed Demon, those guys, Cardiac. You can have a little fun well, with that. That's what it did to Sinister Six because... Like I said, they could have did something like what they did with the spectacular Spider-Man costume, where he beat the shit out of Sinister Six in his sleep. Yes, I, rem- I remember that. I also remember the one where he got his ass whooped really bad, and he had to change costumes and wear, like, the Iron Spider costume. I mean, you can do something like that, where he has to wear, you know, the symbiote costume, or he finds a way to get that costume by accident, and you can have some fun with that, and then, boom, Venom is the, is the payoff at the end. The problem was, like I said, in that particular trilogy, they tossed Venom in there, they forced him there, and it made the movie suck. Now you want to create this new trilogy, and you're already fucking putting the cart before the horse by saying, oh, we might throw the Sinister Six in there just for shits and giggles. It's like, dude, what? take your fucking time. I understand the movie's made a lot of money, but if you haven't learned anything from The Dark Knight, is that Christopher Nolan 
pick the characters he wanted to use, and people complained about it, and he made the shit work. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, I get my inspiration from The Dark Knight, and I want to make the movie dark. Why don't you take inspiration from The Dark Knight by knowing how to pace the fucking movies? Who would have thought that a Batman film with Ra's al Ghul as your bad guy would have been as good as it was? Just think about that. Yeah, but you're also, you know, a hard uh, a hardcore fan. You know, you're a comic reader. But I'm just talking about like just in general. Anybody that talks that I that you talk to them and you say, "Hey, did you see this new Batman movie?" They're like, "Oh, who's the bad guy?" "Oh, Ra's al Ghul." Some motherfuckers will be like, "Yo, who the fuck is that guy?" You know that. You got to sit there and be like, "Oh, well, he's the head of this assassinations guild and he goes into this Lazarus pit." I'll be like, "What the fuck?" Lame. You know what I mean? Like they're used to the household names. And Nolan knew that, and and I like the way he's done it. I mean, even now with The Dark Knight Rises, I'm still a little apprehensive about Bane and, you know, his weird, you know, when Gotham burns type shit, because, you know, Bane is supposed to be a beaner. He's a Cuban dude, but whatever. They want to make him regular, that's fine. And Catwoman, you know, we you've already heard a thousand jokes about Anne Hathaway's nose, but whatever. Christopher Nolan saw something, is seeing something in those characters that he's going to make it fucking work. Will it top Heath Ledger as the Joker? Absolutely not. But that's what works because DC was like, yo, dude, you know what you're fucking doing. The millions of dollars that we got right now validate that you know what the fuck is going on. Go ahead, dude. Go ahead. Minimal fucking involvement. But Marvel, it's like, oh, we want you to do this. That John Favreau complained about that when he did Iron Man 2. Because he said it. He's like, Marvel wants me to make my movie a fucking commercial for the Avengers. And that's the problem. The biggest problem with Marvel is what you've already said, is that they're basically their, their stories are broken up amongst different movie houses. Yep. DC is one of them, plain and simple. Yep. And DC... DC. So like, Go ahead. You know, to make a really good Spider-Man movie, at least part of it, if not all of it, if you just for shits and giggles, through Deadpool in there. You could throw Deadpool in there. The problem with that is I can see, and, and this is something that I can see working. You got to take a character like Spider-Man, and I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. When we, when they released Iron Man, and you know when they released Iron Man one, you kind of knew it may have gone in the in the direction of the Avengers, but it wasn't always certain. You know what I mean? Until Hollywood was like, "Yeah, we're putting out the Avengers." But you watched Iron Man 1, and you and the end of it was the setup for, you know, the Hulk and the Avengers. They all tied together. What you should do with a, with a mythology like Spider-Man, and again, this is me just putting it out there. You take a mythology like Spider-Man, and you use that as your basis for other New York heroes. You know, the Daredevil, the Punisher. Those guys, you you start building those guys into that mythology a little bit. It doesn't have to be crazy, but just enough that you can throw them in there and it makes sense. You mean to tell me that if Daredevil was in a movie with Spider-Man, for whatever reason, whether Spider-Man was fighting the Kingpin, which is another character that you can kind of throw in there, that you couldn't set up a, a spin-off Daredevil film done right, the correct way, off of that. You see what I'm saying? Because there's the that mythology is already there. Same thing with the Punisher. The Punisher's how many times have we read comics where the Punisher wants to kill Spider Man? 
lot of people want to kill Spider-Man. Exactly, but the Punisher's a guy that it writes itself. You know, you Punisher's trying to kill Spider-Man. It's a little dark. You don't have to go super violent by killing people on screen. You could kill people off screen. But it all comes full circle when Spider-Man and the Punisher got to join forces to fight whatever guy it is, whether it's the Green Goblin, and you know, as Norman Osborn, and then he turns into the Goblin at the end, and there's this whole big battle, something like that. That allows, like I said, to set up a mythology. Simple as that. It's not difficult, dude. It's just that that Marvel, for some reason, they make more money than DC, but DC seems to have reined it in to where they're figuring out what the fuck works. Clearly, they know that Nolan has a vision. His vision works. Why do you think he's involved in Superman? Because every Superman movie they've done, you know, excluding, of course, the ones with Christopher Reeve to a degree, have been, you know, the gold standard. You know, they've been the gold standard. That's why Nolan has some some involvement with Superman. Because they're like, alright, he's set up this mythology with Batman. We can kind of tie Superman in there. And then we'll build from there. DC can do a, a solid Justice League film using the same formula that, the, that Marvel used with the Avengers. But they just have to pace themselves and not go fucking crazy. I can see a Justice League movie being huge, but it would take a while to set it up. Well, they fucked it up with with Green Lantern because they they tried they tried to bring thirteen different Green Lantern stories into one. It's like we got our origin story, we got a parallax story, and then we got the Sinestro Corps, all of which took place in separate instances. We bring it full circle. And they crammed all of that in there. And some people were just like, what the fuck is going on? Like when Sinestro put on the ring at the end, unless you read the books, you had no fucking idea. You're like, oh, what's with the yellow costume, dude? If you you didn't read the books, you had no fucking clue what was going on. None. That's where Green Lantern fucked up. And don't don't anybody tell me they need to make an Aquaman movie because absolutely not. But he can talk to fish. Yeah, okay, and Ant-Man talks to fucking cockroaches. Seriously. Nobody gives a fuck about either one of those guys. Again, and that depends, and I, and I, gotta, I gotta retract that statement because old school Aquaman sucked. New DC 52 Aquaman, not so bad. <laughs> old school Aquaman, garbage. New Aquaman in DC 52, he's alright. He's okay. So I'll retract that. Anything else you need to add, my friend? No, I'm good from here. Are you gonna, you, when are you going to see Spidey? Are you going to see Spidey this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to check it out on Saturday. All right. You heard it first, ladies and gents. Slick will be checking out Spider-Man this Saturday. So, of course, be on the lookout for his take on the film on MyTakeRadio.com. Right? Yes, sir. All right, homie. Thanks. All right, that was slick. And you know what? We have actually wrapped up the show for today. Not as, uh, not as crazy as I would have thought. I expected it to go a lot longer, but Hey, hot weather, light movie, light movie and gaming news will do that. I will say this though, summer for gaming and even for gaming news is always such a, such a weird time because it's not always a hundred percent 
four star titles coming out to get people motivated. I mean, we got Dark Siders coming, we got that Madden, which I'm sure you know everybody's going to talk about in August. But it's been rather, rather quiet. I mean, we got that new 3DS coming out, but I think I think movies are going to be the bigger thing because there's so many great four star titles, five star titles coming out. But I will tell you this, and you got you guys will be on the lookout for this this weekend. Abraham Lincoln. Vampire Hunter, that review is going up. We got a Blu-ray review for Haywire that I'm going to put up. Uh, we got a Gamefly Q review of You Don't Know Jack, which I was not going to write up based on my experience with the game. But at the direction of Blade and Quark, uh, they have uh, coerced me to finish it, and I did finish the review for it. So be on the lookout for that stuff this weekend. Um, I did a hangout, a Google Hangout earlier today with the guys from IAIB. And I also posed a question on our Google Plus page, and I'll mention it on air. Um, we want to try and do more exclusive stuff with Google Plus, whether it's dedicated Hangouts, stuff like that. And we asked them on Google Plus, and if you guys use the service, uh, any of you listeners, make sure to add us to your circle. Uh, what's some stuff you guys would like to see from MTR on Google Plus? If you want to answer that, by all means, use our feedback line, 347-815-0687. Or email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com with your thoughts. But we definitely want to start doing more stuff with Google+. I really, really do need to do more video stuff with YouTube. So please be on the lookout for that. Because we are working on some stuff behind the scenes. Alright guys, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Um, I will catch you guys next Thursday. 11pm Eastern, 8pm Pacific. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 145 for Thursday, July 5th, 2012. If you want to be on a future episode of MTR, have any questions, concerns, feel free to email me, like I said, at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Or, like I said before, call the feedback line 347-815-0687. If you are using any social media outlets, such as Twitter, Facebook, look for My Take Radio. On Twitter, we are at My Take Radio. If you're still on MySpace, which I doubt many of you are, we're there as well. Of course, become a fan on our Facebook fan page. Ask us questions on Formspring, formspring.me forward slash mytakeradio, movies, music, comics, whatever, even about the show. We'll answer some of those on Formspring as well. And of course, add us to your circle on Google+. We're trying to put more content on there, trying to give that particular audience some new stuff. So add us to your circle there. And of course, pick up the official My Take Radio app for your Android or iOS devices. It's $1.99. You'll get access to 96K stereo episodes of MTR. Also access to both of our interview series, MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic. You'll also get exclusive mobile content, including wallpapers and other app-exclusive stuff. Uh, Probably next month, we're going to start doing uh, some app-exclusive shows, 100% app-exclusive, nothing for iTunes, nothing for Stitcher, exclusively for the app. We're just trying to hash out exactly what those shows are going to entail, but be on the lookout for that. Probably starting next month, they're going to be more or less secret shows, if you want to call them that. Last but not least, you can listen to MTR via the Blog Talk Radio, uh, you know, Blog Talk Radio forward slash My Take Radio. You can also click the button on MyTakeRadio.com, use the player there. Stitcher, iTunes, Zune Marketplace, Blueberry, um, Am I missing anything? Ah, yes, Miro, and of course, TuneIn Radio. Last but not least, if you're getting the show off of iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really appreciate it. I will catch you guys next week. 
Peace. Is that all, folks?